This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is Jabari Evans, otherwise known as Knowledge. I'm a recording artist, youth advocate, one half of the hip-hop group Kids in the Hall, and I'm also the founder of the Brainiac Project Incorporated, a nonprofit that helps teach recording arts and music education to inner-city youth here in Chicago. When I first started really listening to rap music, I recognized that there weren't a lot of artists from my city that were like mainstream or had national recognition. Twister was one of those first artists to really break out from our scene, even though he wasn't from my neighborhood and he rapped entirely too fast. When he put out Adrenaline Rush, I remember that summer there wasn't one car that went by where you would not hear at least one Twister song. I remember there were people when I went to college, they were like, well, what would define Chicago hip hop? Because I think people really didn't have a viewpoint until Kanye and until Common, until a few other artists kind of blew up. But they were just like, well, what's a really popular song? And I would always play over those. where you would be in a car with your friends and everybody would try to pretend like they knew the words even though they didn't. <laughs> we would have contests. I remember driving around like Lakeshore Drive. I'm from South Shore. You know, when your friends like first started to get their blue slips or get their license, there's like certain records that play really loudly and the bass just lets everybody know that you're there. And that was one of those songs that if you, you played, it was almost like how in um, Wayne's World, Wayne and Garth are like singer queen. Like that's how we used to sing or try to sing overdose. You know, some of your friends, they, they knew the words better than, than me. For sure knew the words better than me. They would have contests to see who could say the rhyme the fastest without the beat. Like sometimes my friend who was driving the car would turn it off as if he was a DJ and see if you could still say the words. Cause a lot of times when people 
are kind of rhyming along to a radio, they're just mumbling, they're not really saying the words. So. I'll be talking plenty of thank you for stress and flowing over notes. I'm still sticking neck and get close. I know I got you tripping off the shit a nigga said off an overdose. Put the fuel on it, take a pool on it. Me overdosing no weed is sending all y'all off into a thing. Kill off all in the meads, we'll make a cheese, catch you up with no needs and snatch your fees. Now that I'm a I don't put the fuel on it, take a pool on it. Me overdosing no weed is sending all y'all off into a thing. Kill off all in the meads, we'll make a cheese, catch you up with no needs. Niggas rolling me bees just so they can hang. Come on, let's talk on the dub with me. I love cities with parties full of bitches where they let me rub titties. Be able to pack a snub with me. In case we get it some static and got a star leaking blood from scuds. Later on, I got to meet Twister, so I remember just talking to him on the set of one of his video shoots about that album and just what it meant to me. And he was just like, I wouldn't have guessed that you were even a fan of mine or that you even like played that album. He was talking about just like when he made that album, literally was just trying to like make something that his block would enjoy, make something that his friends would enjoy. And that that's just his style. You know, he just rhymes really fast and he just happens to have a gift for it. For somebody like me who writes writes raps, to write in that double time style is just completely out of my comfort zone. And he does that almost innately. Even after that, I've been in the studio with him, I've seen his process. Like he, he really just raps like that. It's harder for him to rap slow than it is for him to rap that fast. So for me, it just, it just was everything coming full circle to be like that kid who was in like high school in the back seat of one of my older friend's cars to like actually meeting the artist and kind of learning kind of what went into that song. Cause I was trying to explain to him, like when we were playing junior varsity basketball, like that's what was playing in the locker room. When we were getting ready for a football game, that's what was playing. When we were trying to go out that summer, you know, between that and do or die, I almost chose a do or die record. Hope Pimp was like a very strong record. I think it's one of the few records I could say all of Chicago kind of recognize usually there's local favorites where there's like certain songs that played on the south side played on the west side or whatever but po pimp was one of those songs that everybody played just coming from Chicago is such a street place. Like even if you're not quote unquote hood, you get influenced by hood tendencies. We're just such a street oriented place. It's hard to explain it to an outsider. Even our politics are crooked. Everything is crooked here. It's just it's not a black or white thing either. It's just we're a very blue collar street hustling city. <laughs> and Chicago you have to embody some level of streetness if you're from here. It's just the way it is. You learn street smarts, you learn to ride the train, you learn CTA routes. Like In doing so, you pick up on a lot of things that are in your environment. Me, personally, just growing up on the South Side, so what, I never had a box Chevy. I knew like at least 10 other people who did, you know? <laughs> and it's like, where you're riding in their car, they're gonna be playing something that's bumping. And at the time, it was Twisted. It's intrinsically Chicago. It's K-Town. I'm not from K-Town, but the, the records were so powerful it made you want to go over there and see what inspired the music. Black people in Chicago tend to have a country connection. Southsiders are generally like Mississippi, Alabama, and like a lot of Westsiders are like New Orleans, 
Texas, Tennessee, and they have a different drawl. Like if you've ever been to Louisiana, sometimes it feels like they're speaking a whole other language. And I think they took that with some of the, the general Chicago slang. So the rappers kind of have that natural ease of double time, that natural ease of kind of meshing words together and blending words together, bending words differently. Whereas I think a lot of the Southside artists, beyond having like that connection I just told you about, there's a little bit more upperly mobile on the Southside. So you gotta find a little bit more middle to upper middle class black kids who wanted to rap. And what they were doing was reading the source watching BET, they had cable, so they were imitating New York rappers. You know, I know when I first started rhyming and I had like a crew, our crew was called FFC, we were called, called it Famous from Chicago, whatever. That was our little crew. We would go out west and rap, and they'd be like, oh, y'all like New York wannabes, like y'all wanna be Nas, like y'all wanna be Jay-Z, y'all wanna be something that we don't wanna be, you know what I mean? Like it was very clear that like the west side had a distinct we rap this way, we don't rap like anybody else, we don't idolize any of that other stuff. South Shore is an interesting place. A lot of people until recently have ignored this whole idea that Chicago even has an east side. No, there's an actual faction of people that consider themselves from over east. That's what they call it. If somebody tells you they're from over east, they're probably referring to South Shore. It's the end of Lakeshore Drive is really what it is. It's the end of Lakeshore Drive and extends pretty much from 67th to 79th. Some people consider themselves from South Shore a little bit further, and then it goes as far over. I say Stony Island is the end point, but a lot of people say Cottage Grove is still over east. You have areas like the Jackson Park Highlands, which is where Jesse Jackson lives, where these, these super like plantation style like mansions almost. It's just like an enclave where it's almost like a suburb within the city, and then just blocks over. You have like where King Louie and like some of the other rappers that are from over east grew up. They stay in like these apartment buildings that are huge and humongous, but there's still a lot of crime over there and there's a lot of violence over there. South Shore is one of those things where it's where the haves and the have-nots meet, but it's like black haves and black have-nots. First black-owned bank was in South Shore. South Shore has used to have a country club. Now it's the cultural center. It's owned by the park district, but to think that we have a golf course, that speaks volumes to kind of how these worlds kind of meet. child watching like reruns of like good times and you know they're supposed to be like from Cabrini and there's an episode where like a businessman comes and he's like oh are you one of these South Shore highfalutin uh -huh. <laughs> black guys you know and I was like wait a minute like so South Shore <laughs> is considered highfalutin I never thought it was but I think it definitely has that 
tinge to it where there's like a lot of black middle class people there but they're very hard working very blue collar in many cases first generation having some type of money so it's an interesting place in that a lot of the people that live there don't allow their kids to go to school there <laughs> these same people who are middle class and they talk about community and all that they're sending their kids to school in Hyde Park sending their kids to school downtown sending their kids to school on the north side because they drive to work every day so they work downtown and they drop their kids off on the way and I, I can't even lie I'm, I'm a statistic in that category a lot of people think I'm from Hyde Park they think I'm from Hyde Park I spent a considerable amount of time in Hyde Park I did I went to elementary school in Hyde Park my parents have an office in Hyde Park all of my best friends are from Hyde Park but when it comes down to it like I'm not from Hyde Park. And those kids from Hyde Park would remind me of that every day. Like, if it was a birthday party, their parents didn't want them coming to South Shore. Like, it was a real thing. You know, I played Little League in Hyde Park, but I played basketball in South Shore. So there was this dichotomy that I had growing up. And I think a lot of kids from my neighborhood have that, that duality, who they are in South Shore when they're walking around the block and then who they are, who they have to be who their parents expect them to be when they leave the neighborhood. Even though I'm from South Shore, there was like a scene in Hyde Park that was happening where kids used to hang out at Promontory Point and break dance and tag and rap. And like everybody in that circle was really into backpack rap. I hate to call it that, but that's really what we were doing. Like we were young and we wore backpacks everywhere. It, it really was fitting of who we were. We were schoolboys, but like we didn't have books in our backpacks. Man, nine times out of ten, my friends had spray paint in their backpacks or like weed or you know a forty ounce or whatever we were doing at the time. Maybe a book or two, a magazine or two, but it was really a culture that was happening. I went to high school with Hebrew Brantley. And he was real prominent in that scene. He used to tag. That's how I remember. I remember Hebrew just from him tagging Hebrew everywhere. So I went to high school with him at De La Salle. Before that, though, we had, we were like in rival crews or whatever, and like you, you would cross people's names out. We really thought we were from New York. I think like we really thought we were from New York. We heard that's kind of what they did, and we kind of had created this scene. And I think everybody from that era kind of was into the most deaths, the roots. Wu-Tang, New York hip-hop was just so pure to us. You know, we wanted to create our own version of it with Chicago infused in it, but their lyricism, when it came to like talking about where they were from, when Nas rapped, you wanted to go to Queens. You wanted to go there. It wasn't just that he was a good rapper. It was like, you wanted to go to Queens. When Wu-Tang talked about Staten Island, like you wanted to go there. Mind you, once I got there and saw it, I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> it's just a new way of thinking. Light up the broccoli, kid. Throw the relish in my back pocket. Keep your eyes open. Push your seat back. Just I started writing raps when I was like 12, 13. I didn't start like going out and actually getting in ciphers or actually like vocalizing them to people until 15. We used to have this lunchroom thing at De La Salle during intramurals. It was like if you were in intramurals and you would play whatever sport was going on at the time. If you weren't, you would sit in the bleachers and we would just rap. And one day I just, I think I just was like, you know what, I'm gonna say my little rap that I wrote yesterday or whatever. And everybody was shocked because I like never had said a rap before. 
but they were like it was pretty good and then i turned into kind of like a contest within yourself like i gotta write a rap that's better than what i said yesterday because i know whoever else is in it they're writing too and you know like it was a competitive thing so it was a way to sharpen up the skills i never had a vision of like writing songs or getting in a studio it was just having fun with my friends kind of saying whatever little rap i had and then like my cousin had came over to my house one day and was like, you ever heard him rap? Like, you ever heard him rap? He could rap really well. My mom, I was kind of nervous. <laughs> so I was like, I don't really want to rap for my mom. I don't really want to rap for my mom. <laughs> I don't want her to hear me cursing or any of that stuff. So it just made me reevaluate kind of what I wrote, how I wrote it, and just the idea that if you're going to say something, you should be proud of it. Your parents should be able to hear it. Your friends should be able to hear it. Whoever should be able to hear it. I mean, I can still curse and say the N-word or whatever, but artistically, it has to be something powerful. It can't be that I'm wasting my words. You saying it, then mean it. And that's kind of what I took from my parents, just in life in general. If you're gonna say something, you should mean it. My mom's a clinical psychologist. My dad's a social worker. Community work was something that was always like stressed to me and my sister. My dad used to do pro bono work at this group home. And sometimes we would bring pizzas up there. He would bring me with him. We would do work at the park district. Or my dad used to do couples counseling at our church. And my mom used to do work at a hospital with pregnant women. She did work with teenage mothers. and. My parents volunteered their time a lot. I never thought about it until I was older. And I realized maybe that's where I got my entrepreneurial spirit and as well as my sense of uh, wanting to work in the community because both my parents left academia to start their own private practice. They've been in private practice for 25 years. And I saw that growing up. And so I think I've always wanted that freedom. This whole idea of social entrepreneurship, to me, it gives me that freedom to marry those passions of music, community, Trying to give kids the same opportunity that was kind of given to me because I had two parents. Mm -hmm. Not every kid has a parent that's willing to pay for their studio time or take them places, culture them or whatever. I always had a dream of doing stuff in my neighborhood and allowing kids who are interested in music the ability to have access. That's really it. The label of social worker is usually associated with somebody who takes things away from people, not gives something back to people. And what I'm trying to do is give access to studio experience. I'm trying to give access to engineers, give access to youth artists who are from disadvantaged areas who may need that. So it's like they may be developing an artist that needs to buy studio time, whereas my studio offers studio time for free to certain kids that are in our program. But I just wanted to provide a, an outlet. There are other kids like me who probably could use music as a means to academically achieve or be more excited about school, more excited about life mm -hmm. in general. Because music, hip hop music made me just excited to go to school every day. Just even that little 30 minutes a day, we used to rap in a lunch, lunch area. That was fun for me. It was a reason for me to get up, put that stupid tie on and go to school. Other than sports, because I was, I was an athlete as well. But music became everything. Take me under, I don't know. Imagine 
smoking weed in the street without cops harassing. Imagine going to court with no trial. Lifestyle cruising blue Bahama waters. No welfare supporters. More conscious of the way we raise our daughters. Days are shorter, nights are colder. Feeling like life is over. These snakes strike like a cobra. The world's hot, my son got knocked. Evidently, it's elementary. They want us all gone eventually. Trooping out of state for a plate. Knowledge, if coke was cooked without if the, I was the world. A lot of people were mad at Nas for that album. Depends on how old you are, I think. People who really felt Illmatic, they were mad at it was written. But me, I'm trying to think of the age range. I think if people from like 29 to like 34 loved it was written, they didn't know any better. <laughs> like, But that song to me is so beautiful. He perfectly created a conscious pop record for rap. And obviously he reused something that's already been done and that was what that era was about. It was a glossier sound. It's a glossier sound, but the words that he's saying on that record, they're just beautiful. They're beautiful words, but they're very simple. Imagine smoking weed in the streets without cops harassing. Imagine going to court with no trial. It's just asking questions that the average person asks. The message itself is so simple. It's so, it's so simple that it's like, why didn't I think of that? Nas, if I rule the world, made me want to rap. Tricking six digits on kicks and still holding trips to Paris. I civilized every savage. Give me one shot, I turn tripe life to lavish. Political prisoners set free, stress free. No work release, purple and threes and jet skis. Fill the wind breeze in West Indies. I think Coretta Scott King, mayor of the cities in reverse beans, the willies. It sound foul, but every girl I meet to go downtown. I'd open every cell in Attica, send them to Africa. Africa. Imagine that. At the time, his aesthetic was just very powerful. He had this black regal rap god thing going on. And he was very lyrical, but he wasn't dingy, dirty backpack rap. He was like the place in the middle. Like when you go in a barbershop, everybody could agree on Nas. I had an interesting conversation with one of my best friends. He was like, you knew Nas sold out when he fixed his tooth. <laughs> he said, that tooth had character. And when he fixed it, it was like, he's Hollywood now. I never thought he would fix his tooth. I was like, why are you mad that he, you know, that he, you know, went to the dentist and fixed his tooth? And I was like, man, I never, I didn't even notice that he fixed the tooth. Like my friend was really upset <laughs> that he fixed his tooth. And I was like, wow, like, that's interesting. But the maturation of Nas is real. Like everything he raps about, you feel like he's living it. Even when he got married, he rapped about being married. He's starting to rap more about it, being a father. I think it's interesting that in that song, he said more conscious of the way we raise our daughters and all that. Like These were things that he was putting in the record that everybody could relate to, but it was I genuinely felt like this was just him saying, if I ruled the world, this is what I would do. It was cool. Better find out before your time's out. What the fuck? If I rule the world, imagine that. I free all my first like real national tour was Rock the Bells. Nas was the headliner and I got to see the reaction of that song got every single night. And it was like, he didn't even have to say the words. He didn't even have to rap. Like he just put it out there and like, I'm gonna say like 20,000 people are just saying the words and that's 
It's powerful, man. <laughs> That's when I realized what stadium rap was, and I was like, whoa. I want to create a song where I never have to say the words. That's what that was. I think just listening to it in the headphones, you can't get the feeling of what that is. And maybe as a performer, maybe it resonated more with me. But every night, I would, we would do Rock the Bells, and we were so far enough in the lineup that it, I really could be a fan by the time he was on. We had done every interview we needed to do. We probably been out at whatever stadium it was for forever. Sometimes they had us on a small stage or they would have us on a big stage. But either way it goes, we were opening act. Like we were opening for legends. As somebody who was a fan of pretty much everybody on the lineup and then Nas being like the headliner, it was like I get to go to work and be a fan at the same time. And I remember distinctly like that was always the best part of the show. Yeah. And my headphones turn me into headphones. Yeah, it's cool. It's knowledge born. Woo. That lab rat gutter music right here. Let me do what I do. Yeah. Only way I know how. You know what I'm saying? Check it. Yeah. Yeah. Life's a box of chocolates, makes minds good dive. So Everybody wanted me to go to one of these Ivy League schools or one of these better top tier schools. My sister went to Brown, so I had an idea of what these schools were. He was like, I hated Brown. If I had to do it all over again, I would have went to Columbia or Penn, if I was gonna choose an Ivy League school. She was like, we're city kids, we grew up this way. I know you, you would like it here. So I went to Penn and I already came in thinking that I was gonna like it. And I took a recruiting trip there, I played baseball. We had the W.E.B. Du Bois College House, which is like an actual dorm that's centered around African-American culture. And most of the African-American freshmen usually stay there freshman year. It's almost like having a black college within a white college, you know? It's like, you know, you go to class and you do whatever you do, but like when you come home, your whole dorm is African-Americans. You know, some people looked at that as like, reverse segregation or whatever like why would you choose to be in a, a college house that's majority black so that was like a point of discussion many times on campus i think that's a big difference too and why i chose Penn though because i felt like i didn't want that culture shock either i wanted to be able to go out but i wanted to be able to come home and feel comfortable eventually i moved out of du bois but that freshman year it was very comforting Somehow, some way, where I'm from, niggas never see wealth. They taught life's a series of disappointments followed by death. I was taught a rose to pop from concrete, and the man with no shoes could always be the man with no feet. Life is it was during that recruiting trip that I met Double O, you know, my partner in Kids in the Hall. We actually had met at a talent show during that recruiting weekend. And I remember being real excited about just the idea that there were guys making music on this campus. They had like an off-campus apartment, makeshift studio type of thing going on. And they had like pressed up their own CDs and they were giving them out around campus. And I just thought that was so cool. I was really afraid that going to like an Ivy League school would cut off my music. And I hung out with Double O that whole weekend. I think we were supposed to do all these like activities. That I skipped a lot of that stuff, ditched a lot of that stuff. I just went over to their apartment and they were making beats and making music. The vibe there was really cool. And from that point on, I just immersed myself. I think it was like maybe eight, seven or eight people 
that were kind of all making music and then you know eventually people got to get jobs they graduate and it kind of dwindled down to just me and double o so we were like, we might as well just make it through. words from a distance. Natural born sinner, all I ask is deliverance. Natural born nigga, that's just in my existence. Natural born leader, cause my mind is relentless. I'm trying to save the world, y'all just see it as business. Say I think Penn in particular has a different vibe to it cause it's in Philadelphia. So I experienced Philadelphia just as much as I experienced Penn. I interned at OK Player, so I got to meet Love, I got to meet Black Thought, I got to meet a lot of the Philadelphia artists that were coming out at that time. Jill Scott was like just coming out. Music Soul Child was just coming out. Like I used to work at the Electric Factory, which was a concert venue in Philadelphia. I think at that time I was fooling myself into thinking I wanted to work in the industry but not making the music. So if you asked me what I wanted to do, I'd tell, probably give you some spiel about, oh, I'm gonna do marketing at a record label, or oh, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be an A&R. And like, in real life, I wanted to be the artist. And I think it wasn't until my junior year when everybody was supposed to do like internships that usually turn into jobs after you graduate. And I just was like, I'm gonna go to LA and just create music. There's irony in that because I think a lot of people thought me going to that school was gonna be do the exact opposite. But I think it influenced me to, to even more go for it. I was meeting kids who were entrepreneurs and creating their own businesses. And, and they thought what I did was cool and they encouraged it. I remember we used to share our music on Napster. That really helped us. It allowed us to do shows on other campuses. We were really friendly with bloggers. A lot of them were Ivy Leaguers. Quiet is kept. It came full circle. Raucous Records was the first deal I ever got. So to be like a raucous head my entire life, and by the time I graduate, be offered a deal by the same label that I pretty much idolized my whole high school career, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Memories on corners with the foes in the moles. Watch out the store for the rose, talking straight forward to hoes. Got uncles that smoke and some put blow up their nose to cope with their lows. But when it's cold and it blows, and they sock the corners. There was a lot of times I would listen to Kanye's beats and I would be like, man, it'd be so great if Common got on this. It would be so great if Common did a record with Kanye. And it pretty much happened. When the corners came out, I had never heard Common rap like that. He chose like a pattern that was a little off and then it had the last poets on it. And Kanye's doing the hook. The video was so Chicago to me. Like they kind of stripped everything down and showed Chicago in the dead of winter and like riding in a Cutlass Supreme. It's just, everything about it was just like, oh man, this is, this is gonna be a problem. This album is gonna be a problem. I wish I could give this feeling. Kanye gave Twista and Common hit records like in a span of like maybe 12 months. Brought them to like platinum status. You know, they had never had, these are Chicago legends, but he made them rap legends. And I thought that was so cool. And that being the initial record, that being chosen as the first single, like he could have chose a bunch of other records to be the first single, but The Corner and that song in particular to me just really embodied I no longer have to like talk about where I'm from. I can just play you a record and you can be like, man, I want to go to Chicago. It's steep life coming up with niggas and sheep like rappers and hoopers. We strive to be like cheese with three stripes. Seeds that need like cheese and weed sight. Needs and these strike the corner with struggle and grief fight. We write songs about wrong because it's hard to see right. Look to the sky hoping it will bleed like reality. 
wish I could give you this feeling. <laughs> I wish I could give you this feeling. I had people that I went to school with who were from New York be like, man, I heard Chicago's rough, you know? <laughs> Chicago's rough, like, but they're curious. Like, oh, I wanna go eat Hero's Chicken. I wanna come, show me what Kanye talking about. Show me what he talking about. Where's Stony Island? Where's 87th Street? Why is he talking about 87th Street? And it's just like, I remember being in the barbershop. I remember cats being that normally wouldn't like Common. Like, yo, you heard Common new song? Because they know I'm in the Common. They're like, you heard Common new song? I'm like, you don't even like Common. Like, what are you talking about? Like, they're like, no, no, it's new stuff, man. I like it. I like it, man. <laughs> it was just like, he had to get the streets back. And I think Kanye understood that for him to come back, he had to do, he had to go back to Boom Bap. And he, had, and he needed Boom Bap that was like quality boom bap. Like he gave him like a gourmet boom bap record. It just worked. Kanye kind of opened his vault and you could tell. I had to find a way to get Common on there, and I had to find a way to get Kanye on there because those were two artists that, I mean, like Common more so was like one of my rap idols. I don't know if I'd say Kanye was like one of my rap idols, but he was like really the person that I looked at and I was like, oh man, we can do this. Everything he's talking about is literally my life. The whole college dropout, outside of the dropping out, was my life. There was a point where I did want to drop out. We were getting a lot more music out there and like things were starting to happen and I did have thoughts of dropping out but I didn't have difficulty in school. I think that's where we differ but he was talking completely about my life. He was from my area, not exactly my block but very close to my area. <laughs> His mother's a PhD. There was so many similarities and between Kanye and like little brother it was like that's me. I was like I gotta put my album out because there's talking about everything that I would put in my debut album if I came out today. It was to the point where I had to scrap some songs because I was like, if I put these songs out, people are gonna say I'm biting. I can't even tell you how many times, you sound like Kanye, you sound like Kanye. I had to like really fight that stigma, but at the same time, I was happy that he made it. I know I have a place in the game because he's out here doing this on this level. I was like, even if, it doesn't matter what level I get to, I have a place in the game. Live from Chattown. South side, that's my side. I'll let them know what's going on. Yeah. Sipping a pint of him, blowing breath in the wind. Walking to the number six, steady scuffing my Timbs. Watching ballers ride by trucks, tinted with rims. Wearing the same Tommy coat, I sported in grade 10. Cold as shit, lining on it way too thin. Get an old peach. 2004. Moved to LA. I was a starving artist for like a year and a half. I gave myself two years to like make something happen. The raucous thing was on the table like a year in. I met a guy by the name of John Monopoly who was managing Kanye at the time. And then he had started a company with Don C called Hustle Period. During that time, uh, Kanye had signed this act called Sara. So I met them, I met John Monopoly, I met Don C, I met all these guys. I gave them my music and they just took to it. I really took to it, but the deal wasn't getting done. And then I remember John coming to me and saying, well, if we can't do the deal with Sony, we'll just do the deal with Rockets because they want to come back. And the Rockets guys manage Sarah 
and we'll just do a trade. John was like president of Good Music, so he's like, I'm gonna sign Sarah to Good Music if you sign Knowledge to Rockets. So that was literally what happened. They signed me to Rockets. It was cool though, but it we couldn't figure out where they wanted to go with my music, and they felt like what I was doing was too similar to Kanye. And so that's where the group element was introduced, and the whole like kids in the hall thing was happening. Double O was already making the music. I kind of brought him along. I was like, this is a dude I've been working with since college, and I want him to do my create my sound. And so that's really what happened is we created a project that was supposed to just be like a mixtape, and that turned into being that the first album, which was School is My Hustle. I had like a realization, you know, I had my son and uh, I was living in LA and I was just like, you know what, I, I got to move back to Chicago, I'm about to have a son, He's, I, I can't have him growing up without me, so, and I was like, I want to work with artists that are younger here. I met a kid by the name of Vic Mensa, started working with him and I was mentoring youth and starting to dip my foot into that world, really just through people I know that were, that were school teachers. And I would just ask them if they had talented kids that wanted to do rap music or whatever, and I would just mentor them for nothing, just just because I felt like it. But Vic was probably the most talented of those kids, and I took a real interest in him. And uh, it's great to see the stuff that he's doing now. Him and a young Chance the Rapper, and you know their whole little crew, Save Money. I, I met all of them when they were like 15 years old. All of that mentoring and community work led to me starting the Brainiac Project which is my nonprofit that, that helps youth gain access to studio experience and pretty much we're just promoting the viability of recording arts careers. And in the process of that, I was like, man, I'm almost getting close to 30. I wanted to go back to school. Let me get it while I still had the energy. <laughs> so I went and got my master's degree in social work, which was cool because, I mean, my dad is somebody I've always looked up to. Just to see certain things come full circle for, for him, I think he was even more excited than I was to get that degree. <laughs> but that's really what I've matured into. I think a lot of a rap artists, they mature into something else. I think creating the music becomes routine. You see rappers start getting into clothing, they get into acting, they get in, there's always an extension of whoever it was that you were at the foundation of it and you leverage the music as a means to kind of do whatever's next. For me, social entrepreneurship is what's next for me. Community work is what's next for me. Community organizing is what's next for me. People don't understand that school is a tool to get on this path to freedom. Not just freedom like, yo, we some motherfucking sambos and we just stepped off a motherfucking slave ship. But I mean, freedom is out of our mind. Freedom is a lifestyle, it's a mind state. The meat of doing your MSW is your field work. Right. And I didn't want to do my field work in LA, I wanted to do my field work in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So that's what the program allowed me to do. I mean, the, the classes are the same, the structure is the same, the rigorousness is the same, but to me, I wanted to be able to say I'm doing work in the community that I want to ultimately work in, doing home visits, going to the different schools, really seeing how certain kids are living out here. Like, there's kids who really want to do big and major things in their life, but they don't have the opportunities nor the access. We're gonna make it cool. That's what we wanna do. We, we gonna make it cool to give back. We're not just artists, but we care about where we're from. I think this is something we take pride in. We all really care about our particular communities. 
and we make real connections with the youth that we work with or we try to mm -hmm. and we care because at the end of the day we feel like we were once these kids and we want to pay forward opportunities that were given to us and i think hip-hop is the new medium to reach some of these youth back in the day it used to be like oh you play sports play basketball play football and, but if you weren't any good at that then what do you do you go join a gang or something you go deal drug what do you do you hang out on the corner you know what i mean like what are you going to really do us using the studio as a safe haven it's not reinventing the wheel it's just re-examining <laughs> just re-examining the purpose of the wheel <laughs> like because I always said rap was therapeutic. A lot of artists say rap is therapeutic. A lot of artists say that feeling of just being in a studio is a place that they want to go to. It's a place they feel comfortable, they feel safe. I think exploring that in a real way, in terms of like researching like its real effects on our youth, is something I'm interested in doing. I don't think that's what those other guys are interested in doing, you know what I mean? I think I'm a little nerdier than those guys. So that's kind of really my lane, but I think everybody has their own point and we can all work together. I think me going to school is my segue back into my community. And we all care about Chicago. So I think that's a natural progression and it's dope to see it happening. Hip hop is the voice of a generation, it's the voice of the youth. And it matters because it connects so many different cultures, so many different age groups. It's a translator, as Steve Stout would say. And what was once thought of as a fad is literally a language, it's a religion, it's a style. It matters because it's at the fabric of what America is. American culture ultimately is global. We're so connected, so. You can't ignore the voice of urban youth because the voice of urban youth is now the voice of youth in general. <laughs>